As you're being seated, we're going to have prayer in just a moment. But before I pray, uh, right after I pray, the uh, ushers are going to come and take up this morning's offering and the children that are being dismissed for Children's Church, you can go at that time. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. We confess together that we need you, Lord, every hour, every moment, Lord, every day. You created us and gave us life, and so often we arrogantly go along about our days without acknowledging that life has come from you and without acknowledging our need of you. So we come this morning on this first day of the week to know that the greatest need that we could possibly ever acknowledge and have has been met in your son Jesus and his blood poured out for us on the cross. You accepted his payment for our sins. You raised him three days later. He reigns as king. He's coming soon. Father, may the prayer of our hearts that we truly desire is that our king would come. Jesus would come. And until he comes again, may your kingdom become more of a reality in this broken world in which we live here in Mount Carmel and all around us, Lord. May you stir our hearts in such a way, God, that we would seek after you and leave this place ready and bent to tell other people about what Jesus has done, what he'll do for them, to be on mission everywhere and every day where we work, live, and play. So, Father, we ask you to continue to stir our hearts this morning and Lord, help our nation, Lord, as we're just in a place of divisiveness and need your grace, God. Lord, help us in the midst of brokenness in our families and brokenness all around us, God. We pray that you meet these needs. Help those in our church family that are sick or dealing with different things that are heavy upon their hearts this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit will minister to them bless them. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us in such a way that when we gather here that we can give, Lord. We can give of what you've given to us. It all belongs to you, Lord. We pray now, though, as we give of these tithes and offerings, that you would use it to extend your kingdom, not just to make First Baptist Church known, Lord. We, it's, it's about your kingdom, about the gospel going forth. And so, Father, do this for your glory. Do it for your name's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Children, you can be dismissed. They're going to children's church and our ushers will come at this time.
as I mentioned earlier in the service, prayer week uh, is something we've done here since I've been here as your pastor at the beginning of each year to kind of rekindle us and restir us and remind us that uh, we need to be focused on Christ. It, it, it's a battle each and every day to, for me to focus my mind the way it needs to be on things that are eternal and important. And uh, so this is, a, this is a very important time in our church family, and I hope that you will participate in these prayer gatherings, and at least one of them at uh, beginning tonight, Friday night, and all next week. And uh, uh, this past summer, as I was thinking about our prayer week coming up, I've been thinking about it that long, I began to think about who to invite to kind of uh, come and, and remind us uh, of the importance of prayer, and I thought of Kirk Smith. And in passing conversations with Kirk, uh, without him trying to boast about it or anything, I'd talk with him some about prayer, and, and I know he's a man of prayer. And, uh, Kirk and his family have been a blessing to us, and, and um, Kirk has uh, been in full-time Christian ministry for many years He's uh, as a pastor, and uh, right now he's the uh, executive director of Illinois Christian Home Educators, and uh, God's been using him and blessing him in many ways, and, and uh, we're, we're thankful for Kirk to be here this morning. Kirk, if you come right now and share the word for us this morning, brother, we're glad to have you here. Can I get that lectern back down there on the floor? Can it okay? I appreciate that. Thank you, brother. Well, good morning, everybody. You need to turn me down a little bit. I'm going to be a little hot today, I'm afraid. Uh, before I begin the message today, I, I want to tell you thank you. Uh, this church played a very vital part of our family's life during a transitional period, and you remain so with my adult children who are living at home. Um, I've got to be very honest with you. There's very few churches where I would give my blessing on my adult children to go without me. This area, now the reason I'm going to go to the lectern, my wife is scared to death. I'm going to get excited and step off the steps here. So I'm going to come down and join you, okay? This area that we live in, I can say that because I've been born and bred here. It's basically a doctrinalist area. That's you when you say amen. There is no doctrine in this area. People will go from one church to another church to another church based on programs, activity, and people, and not the doctrine of the church. That's problematic, my friends. And so we are blessed. You are blessed in this church uh, to have a pastor who loves the Word of God, who preaches the gospel. Not some uh, mixture of the gospel, pop psychology, pop culture, you're okay, I'm okay, let's all love and sing kumbaya together kind of pastor. He's a man that preaches the gospel, that we are lost without Jesus Christ, with no hope of redemption. We cannot save ourselves. We can do nothing of ourselves. It's just through the power of God, through the person of Jesus Christ. And so we appreciate uh, his heart of ministry so much. I serve another organization part-time as well. I serve about six states of pastors. And i got to say that your pastor is probably the most humble pastor I've ever met. I've met a bunch of them. Uh, humility, folks, is a, a lost character trait in our culture as we self-promote, as we push our agendas. And I appreciate your pastor so very, very much. And i got to tell you, I like what I'm seeing here. Uh, in times past, you know, you go to churches and when the praise band stops playing, they start, they start singing. About 20% of the people are still singing and 80% are just watching. Uh, 
When I was here at Christmas time, I told my wife, I think I later even commented to Steve, I said, I've noticed something here. Whenever the music stopped this time, 80% were still singing and 20% were just watching. Now I'll let you figure out who the 80 and 20% is. But it's a good trajectory that you're on. Amen. Let's grab the Word of God. We're going to be in the book of Acts today, chapter 1. There's very few things that light my fire as much as the topic of prayer. We read from Acts chapter 1, verse 12, and in the tradition of your church, let's all stand to honor the reading of God's Word, please. Acts chapter 1. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these were with one accord. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brother. Let's pray. God, for the building of your church and for the glory of Jesus Christ, unleash your Holy Spirit here today. May the lion of the tribe of Judah roar the power of God's word and may it convict us, may it sanctify us, may it cause us to stand in awe of the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. The context of this scripture is pretty obvious. Uh, We are in the post-resurrection days where... Christ has revealed himself to his apostles several times. In the book of Matthew, we had the great commission, go therefore and make disciples. Uh, We have the book of Luke, where they had the Emmaus Road experience. Guys walked on the road and Christ comes up, he follows them to their house and he speaks to them and he disappears. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us as he spoke? Can I tell you? The church of Jesus Christ need to have their hearts burning again with the word of God. John, feed my sheep, Peter, feed my sheep. And then we have here in Acts chapter 1, Christ giving his final commandments to his people to go and tarry in the upper room. Quite possibly the same upper room they were in seven weeks ago at the Last Supper. Now, can you imagine the range of emotions they had to feel walking back into that room from the ecstasy of the Last Supper with Christ to the depression of Christ being crucified to the glory of his resurrection and now for his uh, uh, commandment to his church to go and tell. They had to experience this great range of emotions while they were there. They didn't know what it meant to pray and to tarry for the Holy Spirit to come. They knew they were supposed to pray, but they had no concept of how that would manifest. They had no concept of the implication of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here in Acts 1, 2, 3, really through 6, we see God laying the foundational principles, the foundational practices of the church. What do they do? Look at the text in verse 14. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were devoted. 
They were committed to pray. Prayer was the foundational act of the church of Jesus Christ. Before anything else, there was prayer. And they were serious about their prayer times. The Bible says they were in one accord. In other words, they didn't trifle over theological idiosyncrasies, little differences that just don't matter that much. Can I tell you, when I look at our church culture and the overall culture, I get concerned. Here's the big culture that we're in today. This is it. This is America, Western civilization. The church used to be like this much of this much. Does that make sense? We used to influence cultures. The founding fathers, so many of them were Presbyterian ministers. King George, not King George, the prime minister of England said that, that cousin America has run off of the Presbyterian parsons. It was the Presbyterian parsons who were flaming the, the thoughts of revolution because of the tyranny of the king of, of England. The church used to have something to say in the culture. The culture listened to the church. But as we have lost the ideologies, as we have lost the importance of God's word, our scope of influence has gone from this, and it's shrinking. It's shrinking. And rather than realizing this, we want to fight over our little territories within the circle. The battle is not in here, my friends. The battle is out here. Does that make sense? It's the big picture we need to be worried about and not what the Christian church, the Baptist church, the Pentecostals, whoop, whatever else it is. We need to do what God's called us to do in our area of circle and bless others as well. Ben Franklin, at least it was attributed to Ben Franklin, said, if we do not hang together, we will surely hang separately, referring to King George's proclamation of death to the traitors. I hate, I hate the thought of persecution. When I have 11 kids, folks, you know, I'm counting at least 80 grandkids. And so let's go with the program over there, okay? And it bothers me for what world I'm giving them. But I tell you what, persecution has a way of burning up things that don't really matter much. And the church, as well as everybody else, have got their eyes focused on the wrong priority. And if that's what it takes to get the church back where she needs to be, uh, but God help us, but may it be so. So in Acts, we see prayer as the foundational principle laid down. Then Acts chapter 2, if you have your scriptures, you want to turn the um, page over, Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. So this started the New Testament church. If you follow on into Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Peter preached his then now famous message, the Pentecost message. 3,000 souls were saved in one day. Can you imagine? 3,000 souls in one day. Chapter 3, uh, John and uh, Peter heal the lame into gate, and they preach at Solomon's portico. Chapter 4, they're taking me before the Sanhedrin, and they preach the word of God. They preach the word of God. Prayer and proclamation of Jesus Christ is the one-two punch of the New Testament church. Prayer and preaching 
of the word of God. Prayer by itself will produce a a false asceticism, a a false sense of religion. We've got to go out and take the prayer into the world. We've got to preach the gospel. But preaching the gospel without prayer is just an exchange of information. You can take off the church off the marquee outside and put the Lions Club or the Ruitkins Club. If it's just words, 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 I'm tired of words. I'm ready to see the power of God in the pulpits in America, and that will only happen when God's people pray. Everything was rooted in prayer. One of the most dangerous times for us as individuals or as a collective body, as it was here in apostolic times, is when they started to grow. Success is a very precarious time. Whenever you are starting to have success, you become the most susceptible to sin, and the church is no different. I tell my kids often, prosperity, prosperity, ruins more people than poverty does. Can I get that on the, on the back screen? Is there any way to do that? Thanks. Prosperity ruins more people than poverty. I said, guys, as you grow, as God prospers you, you better be careful. It's easy to think it's about you rather than about God. Deuteronomy 8 is a great chapter to read. If you want to write that scripture down, read later on. Success ruins more people than poverty. And one of my favorite quotes is from the Puritan pastor, Cotton Mather. He says that religion or Christianity beget prosperity and the daughter devoured the mother. That's a fantastic quote. Whenever we become successful as a church, it's easy for the tail to start to wag the dog. We, we start having more programs and less prayer. We want a 15-minute message on fluff rather than an hour message on the glory of Jesus Christ and denying ourselves daily and following him. We get more excited about our numbers, the size of offerings, our buildings, than we do the person of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, it is so subtle. It is so subtle. None of us intend to get there. But that's kind of the nature of the beast. It happened also in the apostolic times, by the way. If you flip over a few pages to Acts chapter 6, the disciples had the very same problem with the New Testament church. You got a clock around here, Steve? Wow. You guys are real Baptist, aren't you? (laughs) Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, by the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The twelve apostles summoned the full number of the disciples and said, Guys, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report or good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty... But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and ministry or preaching, proclamation of God's word. All churches say they pray. I don't believe it. They say they preach the word. You understand? 
you've got something in your pastor here that half the churches in America don't have. Someone has a biblical worldview. According to George Barna, over half of pastors in America now lack a biblical worldview. Prayer and the preaching of God's word. As good as the benevolence ministry was and is, as good as all programs and activities were and are, the most important thing that this church can do is to pray, 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 and preach the word of God. And it's, it's so sad because of the great video. It is so sad because prayer can be done effectively by a young child. It's not a matter of giftedness or how many letters we have behind our name, how much money, how, how physically strong we are. It's a matter of seeking the face of God Almighty. But here's the concern that I have. I think we've become very sophisticated in our culture. You know, we're in the information age. Information now travels at the sound of a gigabyte. You can Google something and within two seconds, you've got two million sources to go to. We're pretty smart people. Until you read about our founding fathers and you realize we're not evolving, we're devolving. We're pretty sophisticated. Matter of fact, we are so sophisticated, we really don't need to pray that much because prayer is kind of, it's, it, it's more of the time of antiquity. You know, people way back then, Galileo, you know, the Catholic Church thought the sun was the, or the earth was the center of the universe until Galileo came up. You know, the church was kind of archaic. And I think some folks feel like prayer is archaic, but that's the avenue that God has moved, used to move heaven and hell for his glory and for his praise. So why is prayer important? Why is prayer important? Nebuchadnezzar said when he was humbled by God that God does all things who can stay his hand. And some folks take a fatalistic approach and say, well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, why do we need to pray? Number one, God tells us to pray. He commands it. Now, that in itself should be game over, right? I am seeing this thing, even among the church, we have trouble with master and servant. We, have, we love the Lord as Savior, but not Lord. What if God would say in his word, Christians must skip wherever they go? No, we have fellowship time. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I can see you, brother. Wherever the Christians go, uptown, go to Taco Terra, get a cherry Pepsi, call us kidney stones. You skip. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't take very long before somebody would start saying, well, the world doesn't have to skip. What do we have to skip for? Oh, skipping's okay, but walking is so much more comfortable, right? Well, look at the Pentecostals, how they skip. <laughs> we would start talking with God about why skipping is kind of foolish. And at some point, and this is not, this is not rhetorical. At some point, we've got to decide who's God and who's servant, We've got to decide that, folks. If God says it, we simply do it, whether it makes sense to us or not. If that's what the Creator says to do, that's what we do, including how we do church. Whew. I'm out of shape. I've got to sell that skip and made me tired. Number two, 
God uses prayer to make us sensitive to what he is doing in the world. God uses prayer to make us sensitive. We just got through the Christmas season. Luke chapter 2. There was a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband for seven years from when she was a virgin, then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour when Jesus was shown to the priest, she began to give thanks to God to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Of all the high priests, of all the Levites who would beat their chest and pontificate about how spiritual they were, it was a widow of 84 years old, a man named Simeon, who knew what was happening when Christ was born. Why? They were people of prayer. How many of y'all have satellites? Like uh, satellite cable, what is that? Satellite TV? Baptist. Do you ever get an error on your TV that says lost signal? Is the signal, when it says that, is the signal lost? Is it going through space, just looking for a place to land? No, usually, like this weekend, Snow gets on the receiver on the dish, right, on the satellite. And so you have to go out there and have to brush the snow off. And then the signal's restored. And I think you understand that the, sometimes we've got to go to our heart, which is our dish, through prayer, and get the yuck of the world off of us, to get the grit and the grime off of our hearts so we can receive. God's always sending the signals. God's, God's not moved up there. He's not wringing his hands saying, how's the world getting away from me? God's in absolute, total, sovereign control. He's sending the signal down there, but we get so caught up with all of our little uh, worlds that we participate in, we forget the most important one. Widows. I want to talk to you older folks just a second. 1 Timothy 5.5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Who's old here? I used to think 56 was old. 56 is pretty young. Anybody old here? Nobody. Okay. Well, if there were some older people here. Now, most of you probably, uh, many of you knew my grandmother, uh, Dorothy Merritt, lived over here on Market and uh, 9th Street. Uh, Grandma had a major stroke several years before she died. She could not sit in the, she had to sit, she could not walk. Uh, One side was paralyzed, she could not speak. And she was in the nursing home for four or five years, and uh, my mom and aunts would always go out and check on her, take care of her. And one day my mom came home from there, and she was pretty teary. She said it was so hard to see Grandma so incapacitated. She couldn't do anything. She was, remember her making sugar cookies and she had her uh, angel food cakes. Anybody having Dorothy Merritt's angel food cakes before? Yeah, I had them turned upside down, the Pepsi bottles uh, in her, in her uh, kitchen area. And she was so used to Grandma always making her noodles and uh, making her homemade rolls. I'm getting really hungry thinking about this. And now she couldn't do anything. And I looked at my mom and I said, Mom, Grandma can change the entire destiny of her family's legacy where she's at right now my grandma can change nations national choruses by where she's at right now through prayer 
we get so busy doing all this stuff, and a lot of this stuff has to be done. It just has to be done. But we forget prayer can change everything. For the older ones in this church, I wonder what would happen. And we had a, a row when I grew up in the church. We called it the row. It was about eight older ladies all sit together. Here's the way they sit. Their hands were crossed, and they weren't happy about 95% of the time. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was Jared's Hall. I don't know what the problem was, but they were not happy. And I told my wife, as I get older, I want to age with grace. I want to stay involved in what God is doing. What would happen, older ones, if you would commit 15 or 30 minutes every day to prayer for this place? How do you pray, Kirk? You take on Sunday or Monday, you pray for your pastor. Folks, you have no idea how hard the pastor it is. No idea. I had 25 years in a great church. Most of you know that next to now, Ben. Great people. They love me. They love my kids. But I got totally burned out. It just zaps the life out of you. You give and you give and you give and you give. It zaps you. Pray for your pastor. Pray for his wife. Pray for God to protect them. You protect them. On Monday, pray for the marriages of the church, the families of the church. On Wednesday, pray for your uh, Sunday school. Thursday, pray for Mount Carmel. How can we reach Mount Carmel for Jesus Christ? What would happen then on maybe, let's say, Friday afternoon? You older folks come together, or maybe one at a time, I don't care, and you start walking in the sanctuary, and you start praying over every chair in this sanctuary, that God by his glory would begin to fill each one of these seats with somebody. And not just that, that he would fill those people with the power of his presence at the same time. If you go back there to the, the post and the lentils above the door, like at Passover, and you pray, God, fill this place with your presence. Then you can walk up here to the, the praise band. You can pray over them, God, may they usher in the Spirit of God like the musicians did for Elisha, for him to have the Word of God. And then pray for this desk, the holy desk, that God would put a fire in your pastor's bones that he could not withstand even though he wanted to. What would happen? What would happen if we labored in prayer like that? It's work. And for a lot of people, it's just easier to complain about church rather than to pray. Amen? You older folks, I want to challenge you. You've been here through the thick and the thin of everything. Bless your hearts. Your time's not over. It may be just beginning for some real godly work. Spurgeon said, the power of prayer can never be overrated. They who cannot serve God by preaching need not regret. If a man can but pray, he can do anything. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Number three, prayer reminds us of our interdependence upon God. Or dependence, rather, I'm sorry. It reminds us of our dependence upon God. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I abide in him, what? Will bear much fruit. For without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. What if, 
I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need. What if God did a chart of correlation between how much we say we depend upon God and how much we pray? Would there be a correlation there? I mean, we all know we need God. Amen. I trust. We know we need God, but does our prayer life reflect that? If we say we need God every hour, we should probably, probably be praying about every hour. Maybe not a 20-minute prayer, but a, you know, a few prayers along the way. We would start the day with prayer with our families for God's blessings, God's protection. We would end the day with prayer as a family at the altar of, at the altar of prayer. Jeremiah 33, 3, some call God's phone number. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. What a promise that we can talk with God and know what God wants us to do with his kingdom. But you see, for churches specifically, we don't like trusting in God. We trust in our programs. Can I preach a little bit? Because, see, we don't need God's anointing to have programs. We can just do it. But to teach, to preach, to evangelize, you've got to have God's anointing. You've got to be faithful and obedient where God wants us to be, and that's kind of hard. One of the most uh, impactful stories of my life, I was 13, 14 years old, up at OCC. Sorry, Matt. Um, they had an OMS missionary in. And this man told this story. He said a Chinese pastor had been incarcerated in China for his faith for over a decade. And by God's providence, he was released. He was then brought to America for about a six-week tour of America. And he was taken to some of the, the best and biggest churches. That's not, and that's not sarcastic. The churches that were on fire for God and all these things. And after six months... His sponsor, his guide, sit down with him and said, Pastor, what impresses you the most about the church in America? I mean, you've seen the, the biggest and best churches that we have. What impresses you the most about the church in America? He said the pastor paused for a moment. And then he said in broken English, the thing that impresses me the most about the church in America is how much you can do without the presence of God. The thing that impressed him most about the churches in America was how much they could do without God's presence. Wow. Wow. Pastor Steve, you don't need to be prostrate for the Lord for your church. You've got Google. Just go and get a sermon off the internet. I know a lot of pastors who do. How can you own that? How can that be a fire shut up in your bones? Tim, where's Tim at? Tim, where you at? Tim, you don't need to be praying to God. You've got synthesizers. You've got a 32-channel board back. You don't need the anointing of God in your music. Sunday school teachers, where you at? Sunday school teachers, kids' church teachers. You don't need to pray that much. You've got Baptist press. You're covered. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
we depend upon everything else but the Spirit of God. And we wonder why our young people are leaving the church in droves in America. One study I said said most of the reasons people don't go to church is they don't see God there. That's a comment, isn't it? They can't find God at church. So the question today as the title of this message is, how will First Baptist do church? How will you folks do church? Can I tell you, it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Let, let's contextualize this. Let's say you've got a Christian in Mount Carmel goes to church. Pick any church you want to. They'll drive 30 minutes to Princeton to go to the theater. They'll lay down as a family 30, 40 bucks. Or in our family's case, we take out a second mortgage. <laughs> then they spend that much again on overpriced soda pop and, and butter popcorn. But boy, isn't that popcorn good? <sighs> I mean, we buy the family buckets, you get free refills. We'll refill this thing 67 times. <laughs> we, we save money. We, we don't have supper, we don't have breakfast the next day. We make money on this thing. So they'll go and they'll watch a movie for an hour and a half. Then they'll drive 30 minutes to come back home. So they're out three to three and a half hours. They're out a hundred bucks. And what do they get for this experience? They get to hear their Savior's name taken in vain once, twice, 10 times. And then on Sunday morning, they'll come to church and they get upset if the music guy goes 20 minutes instead of 15 and God forbid the pastor goes over 45 minutes or in some churches, 15 minutes. And the saddest thing of all all is this. They don't even know to be embarrassed by that. That's embarrassing by New Testament church Christianity. Whenever I do weddings, I always ask the bride and groom, how long do you want it to be? And I had one once, and and she said, I think 30, 35 minutes. It wasn't a long time. But I walked out during the recession, I glanced at my watch, boom, 35 minutes. Got to the reception, had a lady come up to me and she said, that was the longest wedding ceremony I've ever been to. And she said, do you preach that long on Sunday morning? I said, no, ma'am, I preach longer than that. She said, well, I'm glad I don't go to your church. And I said, lady, that makes two of us. It's a sad day when the church caters to the carnal, if not unconverted, rather than to Jesus Christ. God help us to get back to prayer and the preaching of God's word from the pulpits here in America. The prescription that Christ has is prayer and preaching, prayer and preaching. They're not the exclusive means, but they're the primary means of most churches. Spurgeon said, shall I give you another reason you should pray? I have preached my very heart out. I could have not said any more than I have said. But will not your prayers accomplish that which my preaching fails to do? Is it not likely that the church has been putting forth its preaching hand, but not its praying hand? Oh, dear friends, let us agonize. Agonize. That's not a now I lay me down to sleep prayer. God bless his food, to agonize before God. 
And some of you have no idea what that means because you've been raised in a, in a 21st century culture. You have no idea what it means to spend two, three, four hours before God. To walk around this sanctuary at night crying out for God's presence because we can indeed do nothing without him. Does that make sense? The thing, you know, we don't pray, we have programs. And I'm not anti-programs for the most part. But when it takes away, as we see with the apostles, when it took away from prayer and preaching, the problem is, as good as programs are, they can't change the Ethiopian skin, they can't change the leper's uh, spots, and they can't change our hearts. Proverbs 21.1 says that God turns the king's heart like water in an irrigation ditch. God changes our heart. So who's at the upper room experience? Verses 13 and 14. Peter, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas. Who are those guys, basically? Pardon? The leaders of the church, right? Leaders of the church. Deacons. You know who you are. When's the last time, apart from this week, God bless you, Steve, for instituting this week. When's the last time you had a deacon meeting where you didn't talk about church finances, the church building, or church needs when all you did was pray? And I don't mean talk for 50 minutes and pray for 10. I mean talk for 10 and pray for 50. When's the last time deacons, you are deacon-led, right? You got together and you fasted and prayed just as your own group. As leaders, what kind of example do you set for your people? And then after that, people, when's the last time we've had a day of prayer and fasting for this church, for this community? It's almost laughable if it weren't so sad on our part. Would it not be that we have God and, and prayer, and yet we, we do so little of it sometimes? Am I, am I communicating here? Have I made anybody mad yet? Give me a few more minutes. I'll get there. Young people, we used to meet every Wednesday morning at 6 or 6.30 at our church, and then people would come. We'd have 35 young people come for prayer at 6 o'clock in the morning on Wednesday. We'd pray for an hour, then we'd eat for 45 minutes, some good old cold cereal, a lot of sugar, send them off to school. Young people, it's time for you to grow up. You've got to grab onto God. Of all times in redemptive history, now you've got to grab onto God. The temptations are so great. You've got to get a hold of God. This is, this is all really close to me. I don't know if you can tell that or not. And I'll tell you why it is. I cut my ministerial teeth during the, the church growth era. And I would go to conferences and I would get cassettes. Cassettes. Eight tracks, LPs. <laughs> Dated myself there, didn't I? And I would listen to this stuff. And it tells you how to get a crowd at your church. And can I tell you, it works. I did it. It got a crowd at our church. But Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples, not get a crowd. There's a difference between a crowd and disciples. Do you hear me? 
The problem with the church in America, many people are as happy to get a crowd of unconverted people rather than a church full of disciples. What's the problem with that, Kirk? It's not what God says, remember? God, we're to make disciples as a church, not get a crowd. I, don't, I love a big church. I had a larger church. But that's not what we're after. When we, had, we did a big campaign, and unless you condemn me, you borrowed our stuff. You did it after we did here. So we did this campaign 20 years ago, and uh, it blew our church up. I mean, we went from, I don't know, 250 to 350, almost to 500. Blew us up. I remember after about a, a two or three month period, I baptized 50 people one day at the city pool in Albion. 50. Feel pretty good about yourself, Steve. All right. And then the leak started. About three years later, I was, uh, in my, I was eating lunch. And the scrapbook was there that somebody put together that event. And I started looking at all the pictures of the people that we baptized. I haven't seen that person for a while. That person's pretty sporadic. And I just started going through there. I wasn't impressed. Offerings were good. Numbers were good. But when I kind of figured up and calculated after I took away the, the kids who were coming of age, kind of realizing their need of Christ, about, we kept about 25% of those folks. You see, I, I led them to the Lord, maybe, under uh, programs and activities. And guess what? When we said, no, now you serve Jesus, they started leaving because that wasn't the contract they were saved in. They were saved in the let's have fun contract, me contract. And so when I say, oh, no, no, we deny Christ and follow, follow him daily, well, that wasn't the contract you gave. So about 25% stayed with us. And as bad as that is, the Billy Graham Crusades, after one year, they, they retained less than 3% of the people who actually came forward. Now, folks... Something's wrong with that picture. Amen? So there's only one of two possible solutions here. Only one of two variables. Either A, God's ways and God's word does not work. Or B, what? What? We're not doing it God's ways. That's all you can say. When the Southern Baptists in 2002 did a family life conference uh, survey, and they found out that 88% of their kids were leaving the faith after the first year in college. That was like a wake-up call. 88% were leaving the faith, some never to come back. Either God's ways work, or we're not doing it God's way. And I say, folks, we've got all the programs that we could ever use, but we're not praying as a church. I challenge First Baptist, how will you do church? Will you imitate what everybody else is doing around you? Let me start wrapping up with this thought. I was called to a church, this is years ago, and it was a church elder, and he said, Kirk, I've got a question for you. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, Our, the church was growing great guns. They had a young guy in, he was a church growth guy doing all the programs, and boom, it got a, got a crowd in. And they were in like 500 in a, in a town like half the size of Albion. And he said, I found out that our youth group, that the, the kids are fornicating like crazy in our youth group. Fornicating. 
And he said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, you've got to go talk to your pastor and get, you know, obviously you pray, but you get a strategy. How are you going to address this problem? And he said, well, that's the problem. He said, I went and talked to my pastor, and he said, you know, the church is doing really well right now. Numbers are good. The offering's up. Let's, just, let's not rock the boat right now. That's a problem. When we were to have a crowd full of fornicators, then a church full of disciples, that's a problem. Amen? I, I, I'm not wrong here, am I? Uh, that's, I mean, Christians are supposed to be different, right? Some of you look confused or dazed. I got all these stories firing off in my mind right now. I, I wish I could, even just five weeks ago, I had a guy come and do some work for me, and he was talking about this church. This guy is, he's living with his girlfriend. He's got children by her. He, his, language was, his language was his language. And he says, I can't go to this church. He says, they act worse than I do. How do we get here? We're to be the church, the bride of Christ. We're to be different from the world that when they see us, they should say, that's what I want to be. This guy said, I don't want to be that bad. God, help us. God, help us. I have no idea where I'm at. That church that had 500, it went from 150 people to 500 in this guy's ministry. And then he left. Bless the next two pastors' hearts. It went from 500 to 400 to 300 to 200 to 150 to 120. It was worse off after he came there. Why? He didn't build on prayer and preaching of the word of God, but programs. And his motivation was pure. When I did our, our, our uh, program, my, I wanted to build the church. You want to build the church, don't you, Steve? I want to build the church. I just built it God's, built God's way. But seeing like these guys, when they get so big, they leave. The key is always leave when you're on top. I wasn't that smart. I stayed around for 10 more years. And so I got to eat the fruit of all the programs. It was nasty. Because a lot of the folks who came in were not converted. You can't build a church on people like that. You build a church on people like this right here today. This is the core of First Baptist Church. And if this core will commit to prayer, not just for this week upcoming, but 52 weeks a year, you older folks, get in the game. Get in the game. Get on your knees before God if you still can. Remember you used to, George, you ever get on your knees in prayer at church? Remember you used to do that? We used to get on our knees and pray at prayer meeting. You used to do that? We don't do that anymore, do we? We're too sophisticated. To get on our knees before God Almighty and to pray, pray. Dads, come into this place, get us pray for our kids. Oh, we need to do this, we need to do that. No, you need to pray for your kids. I'm not the only one seeing this, by the way. Uh, Steve called me back in. Summer, and I was sitting in my office one day at home, and I just wrote this out in about two hours. I mean, it just flowed. You might not think that, but it did. And that was in October. I was down in I was down at Ridgecrest in Asheville, North Carolina, at a conference, and I received this email. 
Here's what this pastor said. He said, now, now, this is what we call a confirmation. I just finished my sermon, okay? God doesn't want a crowd like the world. He wants a family like his son. A church family that is not just a crowd grows in Christ's likeness through discipleship. How do we keep from being an, an, an unaccountable crowd? I'm going too fast. How do we keep from being an unaccountable crowd of informal friendships where no one is formally responsible for anyone else and where each person is left to define the gospel and gospel faithfulness for himself? What happens when you build a church on something other than prayer and the preaching of God's word? Is that not exactly what I'm talking about today? You want to guess who wrote that? Your pastor. Amen. Amen. That's your pastor's heart. That's the heart of God. First Baptist, how will you do church? John Hyde said there will not be renewal in the church until there's a renewal in our prayer lives. Church should be an encounter with the living God to one degree or another whether it's through the, 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 the spoken word or the word sung, there should be conviction in this place today. Because i got to tell you, I don't think there are hardly any churches in America really praying. I just don't think it. I've had to confess my own prayerlessness in my own prayer life. We're not praying, folks. Preaching and prayer... Prayer and preaching, I believe, because I've seen it, if this church will become a model of prayer, and folks, this church has got to do it because there's not a lot around that I could preach this message to like this. You understand? If you become a model of prayer, if you begin to seek the face of God for your church, you'll see people genuinely saved, changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because James says that the, the prayers of a righteous man, the fervent prayers of a righteous man, avails much. First Baptist Church of Mount Carmel, I ask you today, how will you do church? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, and we repent because we do so little of it. God, it's so easy to complain and to murmur to you rather than to call out for help, rather than to deal with sin in our own lives, God, our own hearts. God, I pray for this church. I thank you for the beacon they have been to this community, for the blessing they've been to my family personally. And I pray, God, that there'll be a spirit of prayer that will consume this place. And God, I pray you would give us the grace of prayer, a burden to pray, to labor in prayer, God, for our church, for our community, for our nation. As, as Steve said, it's so divided. And God, the, the culture continues to get to press us into a smaller and smaller circle. And we choose to fight against each other rather than cry out to God. Lord, may you fill this church with a fresh fire. May you fill them with the heart to pray like they have never prayed before. And God, when the preaching of the word happens, may men be brought to repentance. May they have a greater understanding of the word of God. May they be filled with a fresh joy. Because when we're right with God, when our satellite is clean, we can receive the word of nourishment. God, we just give 
pray for your grace here today and your glory to remain upon us. For your glory, for your name's sake, for your love for the church. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. As we get ready to sing this song together in a moment, I just want to share that I feel very encouraged. I feel very convicted. I need to pray more. I need to pray better, more fervently. And we need to pray more, better, more fervently. So as we sing right now, I'd just like to ask you to pray. Sing, sing, pray to God, cry out to Him. And uh, think about these words that we're singing. And if you'd like to to join me up here and just spend some moments praying together and confessing what it is that we need to do better job at at First Baptist, and I'd ask you to do. Let's sing together. Stand together right now.